You know, as we focus on the giving element of this season, it's our hope and prayer that um, the gift of what Jesus has done for you and what has done for me is not something that you hold on to, something you, you admire and something you put in the closet, but something that you share. And one of the ways that we're encouraging you to do that is our Christmas Eve services that will be coming up, Christmas at Cocalico here the uh, December 23rd and 24th. Uh, there's an invite card. Jolene will give you a little more details afterwards at the end of the service. There's some packets of cards there, and we just encourage you to use this as a gift uh, to start a new tradition. Invite your whole family to come and celebrate Christmas with us. I don't know about you, but we have, in our family, we have favorite Christmas movies, movies that we enjoy watching every year at Christmas time. And one of our favorite Christmas movies is Elf. And so uh, we watch Elf about every New Year's Eve, depending on who's there at home with us. Um, but uh, in a recent Rotten Tomatoes poll, um, they polled people to find out what the top three Christmas movies were. And uh, the top three Christmas movies were It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, and Holiday Inn. Now, Holiday Inn is the prequel to El White Christmas. But how many of you think Holiday Inn is the number one movie, that, the number one uh, holiday movie? How many think that that's the number one movie? I get no takers in this service, okay? All right, how about this one? How many think It's a Wonderful Life? How many think It's a Wonderful Life is the number one movie? All right, how many of you think uh, Miracle on 34th Street? Man, like a third of you didn't vote. Come on, you know, I can't do my poll if you don't vote. All right, the winner is It's a Wonderful Life. That's the winner, all right? But there's another pretty well-known Christmas movie, um, um, and that's this one. It's called Home Alone. Uh, Home Alone. Now, how many of you have seen the movie Home Alone? Okay, you aren't voting, Matt. We're already done voting for your favorite Christmas movie. He's voting for that one, so. Um, but how many of you have seen Home Alone more than once? How many of you have seen it more than once? Okay, look at that, the whole room. I won't ask how many have seen it 10 times or 15 times or every Christmas season, but um, it's a movie written by John Hughes in which eight-year-old Kevin McCallaker is accidentally uh, left at home while his family goes overseas on a vacation. And he had a huge challenge. He had to convince you that this was actually possible, that you could leave your kid at home and go overseas on vacation. I know it's slightly possible because a number of you have left your kids here on Sunday morning and you've gone home, and some of you have done it multiple times. I don't know what hint you're trying to leave, but you've done it multiple times, you know. Um, but to leave them and go overseas, that's another story. But how many of you, when you're watching a movie like this that you've watched multiple times, when the first part of the movie starts rolling along, you've you, um, seen it a number of times. What do you do when you're watching the first part of the movie? You do what? You just skip over it, right? Or you look at your phone or you pay attention to something. You don't even pay attention because you want to get to the part where the robbers are trying to get in the house, right? That's the part you want to get to and you want to see. And so what happens, though, when we do that is you can easily miss some components of the movie that are critical to the storyline and critical because it's become so familiar, and this morning, as we begin our series on, uh, for, the, for Christmas, the danger is that we do the same thing with the Christmas story. Some of you have been hearing about, have been reading, and looking at the Christmas story for many, many years. Um, and so it's real easy for a story like that to just become something that becomes routine, something that you just overlook, and you miss important, meaningful elements. And my hope is this Christmas season that you will begin to look at these elements through fresh eyes. And you'll see some interesting aspects of the Christmas series, of the Christmas story, and begin to see Christmas in a new light. To see Christmas in a new light. 
You know, one of the reasons that people love kids at Christmas is because of the, the, the excitement and the wonder in their eyes and their face when they see things that they haven't seen, or they're given gifts that they were looking forward to hoping to, hoping for. And my hope and prayer is that as we look at the Christmas story, you will see some things that will open your eyes in ways that you have not seen before. We're going to look at some specific characters in the Christmas story and some of the nuances and twists in their stories. And I believe in doing so, we're going to see God showing up and God working in amazing ways, ways that might surprise you. And when you look at the Christmas story with fresh eyes, it's a story that seems highly unlikely to be a story that was made up. Because if you and I were making up this story, there's some questions about it, the way it's currently written, that leave a scratch in our heads. For instance, why doesn't the pregnant woman about to give birth get a room in the inn? Why was Jesus put in a manger when he was born? Why, when Mary and Joseph traveled eight to ten days to get from where they lived in, in, um, in Galilee all the way down to Bethlehem, uh, the place of his family heritage, was there not someone willing to open their home for them to be in? Why such humble beginnings? Why did Jesus not have the beginnings that Moses had when he was taken from slave owners and moved into the palace to live there among the Pharaoh? Why did the angels appear to shepherds? Why not more powerful or influential figures? So when we look at the Christmas story with fresh eyes, we realize that we wouldn't write the story that way. We wouldn't write it that way. And it's important to be honest about that because the reason we wouldn't write the story that way is we would probably not write our story the way God's choosing to write our story. When was the last time you found yourself wondering, God, why in the world is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is my story being written in this way? If you haven't been there, you probably will at some point in your life to wonder, why is God choosing to write your story in this way? And if somehow we could wipe our memory banks clean and go back and rewrite the story of how God chose to bring His Son from heaven to this earth, I guarantee it wouldn't be written the way God wrote the story. You say, why do you say that, John? Well, think about some of the crazy twists. A scandalous pregnancy. A man who's willing to discard his fiance because she's pregnant and he's not the father. A smelly stable, a feeding trough that becomes a bed for a baby. It really seems like somebody didn't plan this out very well. And I don't think you would write the way this story goes because um, that's not the way we want our stories to be written. We want our stories to have strategic planning and careful detailed itineraries and the circumstances not to be as bad. That's how you and I want our stories to be written. But is that the way our stories unfold? Unfortunately not. We want our stories to have little struggle, no heartache, no pain, perfect kids, great outcomes, and the, the Christmas to always look like it does at the end of the Christmas movies, right? That's how we want it to look. But our story doesn't look like that. It doesn't end up that way. And I wonder if God wrote His story of His Son coming to this earth in a way that leaves us scratching our heads so that we recognize when our stories don't end up the way we think that they should, that we realize maybe God can still be in our story as well. Can you think of a few parts of your life story that haven't gone the way you planned them to go? For me, life went pretty well as I had planned it, 
my, I went to college. At college, I met my wife. We, we, I went to start a grad school. We shortly got married. A little bit while after that, we started the church here. Uh, we had a baby, and we were going to have another. We thought we'd have a few more children, and God decided, nope, that's not the script I have for you. And the doctor said, I don't know how you had the first child, and you're not going to have any more. It's not what we had planned, not the way we were going to write the script of our story. The truth is our lives have all kinds of plots and twists and turns that don't go the way we plan, and that's the way the Christmas story is. I wonder if God knew that our lives would be full of stops and starts, relationships beginning and ending, careers changing, finances Uh, leaving, being uncertain, so that today we end up with this crazy cast of characters we call our family and this story called my life. The truth is, God knows that we live in a broken world, and maybe we need Christmas every year just to remind us that nobody's story's perfect, not even our Savior's. And so today we're going to look at the story of an individual who is blindsided, um, the other day I caught an episode of Survivor, and one of the best episodes of Survivors is when they come to tribal council, and an individual assumes that they're safe, and as they come to tribal council, they assume that they're safe, there's no chance they're going to be voted off the island, and then they see Jeff open up the card and read their name over and over and over, and their face gets more and more filled with shock and bewilderment as they realize they were just blindsided. They had no idea it was coming, out of the blue, completely unexpected, and it hits them. And this morning, we're going to look at someone that was blindsided in the Christmas story. And as we look at this part of the story, my hope for you is that you will hear some of the words that are are said and that it will be a gift to you, a gift that you can take with you, that will give you hope and uncertainty in a changing world, in a story that none of us knows what the next page or chapter written is going to be about. The truth is, God can be trusted, and God is here, and so let's start looking at the Christmas story. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. It's page 830. Uh, You can also follow along on the screen or uh, follow along on your phone as well. Luke chapter 1. And Luke is one of two accounts of the Christmas story. There's one in Luke and one in Matthew. Um, Luke's account is a little bit more detailed, Uh, Luke was a medical doctor. He did a lot of research before he wrote his story. Um, And this story begins, actually, the first part of Luke chapter 1. There's a man by the name of Zacharias. Uh, He's a priest. He's a religious guy, works in the temple, um, kind of the church of that day. And, And he and his wife had gotten up in age, and they were not able to have any children. And God showed up to him and said, you're going to have a child. And he was uh, so full of questions and so full of doubts and disbelief that God silenced him, and he couldn't talk for the next nine months. And so that's how this story begins. But midway the, through the story, we're taken to another part of the story, and that's in verse 26. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The greeting went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Nazareth is a little town. It's a town in the area of Galilee. 
Uh, it's in the northern part of it's in the northern part of the of the land of Israel, and it sits in a little hollow on the side of a mountain. Um, in those days, it was probably a little town of maybe two to three hundred people. Now it's a town of approximately ten thousand people. But in this town, the angel found a young woman, um, a woman who was a virgin pledged to be married. A young woman in this context would have would have been a thirteen and fourteen year old girl, thirteen and fourteen year old girl. And the fact that she was a virgin, not a surprise, but an important part of that story. But she was pledged to be married. And you might think, and isn't that a little young to be married? Not in that culture in that day. Um, most of the men in that day did not marry until they were in their late 20s. So they had established a trade and a skill and had built up some resources. And then they would marry someone who was somewhere between the ages of 13 and 14. And the way the pledging process or the betrothal process worked is an individual would be interested in a young woman, but he could not go and ask her. her. His parents had to go to her parents and ask for her hand in marriage. And so the marriages were arranged. And as the marriage was arranged, the, the one that the man would usually give some type of betrothal gift uh, to the potential bride, and that gift would then be um, something that would be his um, as a guarantee that she would pledge herself to him. During this time, there would be involvement with no other individuals as they would be pledged to each other, no, no sexual intimacy during that time as they waited for one another. After the pledge ceremony took place, then he would go back to his home, usually his parents' home, build an addition to that home, and that's where he and his bride would live. Once the home was finished, he would go um, and he would invite her through a ceremony to become his wife and they would go and live there. But this whole idea of sexual purity, which the text highlights she was a virgin, is something that was part of the Old Testament law. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says this, if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledge and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. It was a pretty serious deal uh, to violate this law, um, as you can see by the law that was there. But twice the story highlights for us that she was a virgin. She was a virgin, and he was a descendant of David, and that'll come up a little bit later in the story. So this young girl is there, and an angel shows up to her, and an angel says this, you are highly favored. You are highly favored. Now, what the angel's not saying is he's not saying you can grant favorable things to others, but that you, for some reason, that he doesn't really ever tell us, are favored by God, are viewed by God in a favorable way. And then he follows with this statement, and the statement is, the Lord is with you, or God is with us. I thought that was kind of odd. Why would he follow with that statement? It's one thing to say, well, you're favored by God, and we're going to find that out in, in a couple of verses why, but then he goes on to say, and by the way, God is with you. It kind of makes you assume that he's about to reveal something to her, that it's critical for her to be aware of God's presence with her. It's about to reveal something to her that it's critical for her to be aware of God's presence with her. This is kind of like someone saying to you, you might want to sit down for this news. You might want to sit down for this news. Now, if someone says you might want to sit down for this news, how many of you assume that it's good news? How many of you assume, oh, that might be some good news? How many of you assume that? Oh, we, uh, no takers? We got one or two maybe? How many of you assume it's bad news? Okay, most of us, right? Most of us. Well, Mary was right there with you because look at her. She was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled. She felt a knot in the pit of her stomach. Uh, she was feeling her anxiety rise. She was wrenching, wrenching her hands at that time. Um, 
who first of all gets visited by an angel? By an angel. Well, there's a couple examples in the Bible of people getting visited by angels. Um, a couple of times it announced the arrival of children. There's a story in the Old Testament of a man by the name of Abraham who is well up into his 90s, and an angel came to he and his wife and said, you're going to have a child, and she laughed at him. thought it was so funny, and they actually named his, their son Isaac, which means he laughs. And then the story I told you earlier about Zechariah. But think about Mary for a moment. I mean, here's a 13 and 14-year-old girl. She's engaged, she's pledged, she's going to be married. Her bride-to-be is Joseph. He's a guy that we know <clears throat> from other parts of the story that he's got a trade. He's skilled with his hands. He's going, he's building her a place that's going to be their home. I mean, this girl could not be any more happier in her life at this moment in time. And suddenly an angel shows up and says, by the way, I need you to sit down so you can hear this. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine as Mary, and, and then Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? I imagine as she hears these initial words, don't be afraid, Mary's probably wondering, what's he about to tell me? What's he about to tell me? Did something happen to Joseph? Is, this, is the engagement off? Why the bad news? And then he goes on to tell her that you are going to conceive and give birth to a son. And I imagine Mary is thinking maybe in her mind, yeah, I, I hope to do that at some point in time down the road after we're married for that to take place. Um, she goes on to describe him as he was going to be great, called the son of the most high, the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants. His kingdom will never end. You say, what's he talking about there? We're not going to take the time this morning, but if you go back and read in 2 Samuel, um, 2 Samuel Chapter 7, God makes this promise to David. He said, your kingdom is going to reign forever, and there will be a king that will sit on that throne that will reign forever. So this is really a, a fulfillment of a prophecy from the Old Testament. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but to Mary as a young Jewish woman, she would know that because the Jews were always looking for who was going to sit on King David's throne. He was the greatest king of all of Israel. Who's going to sit on King David's throne? And now she's told, your son is going to sit on King David's throne. Imagine Mary's head is spinning right now. It's spinning. Imagine you're a 13 and 14-year-old girl. Now, some of you are, so that's not hard. You don't have to imagine. You are. Um, some of you in the room have been there, so you can go back and think what it was like and what was going on inside of you when you were that age. Some of you have been fathers to 13 and 14-year-old girls, and even though they've told you what's going on inside your, their head, it makes no sense to you. You can't quite comprehend it, so it's going to be hard for you to step in their shoes. And if you're a teenage guy, you have no idea, you know, so you're just lost. Um, so half the room can identify with this individual very, very well, and a portion can guess. But, I mean, here's a young woman at the beginning of this, the most exciting time in her life, and suddenly an angel tells her that she's going to have a child and your child is going to be the one that everyone's waiting for. 
What's going on in her mind? What's going on in her mind? You know, I think about a young girl, and when she gets news that's overwhelming, how does she respond? Well, for some young girls, when they get news that's overwhelming, their emotions take over, and they're kind of paralyzed by their emotions. Um, For others, they're just stunned in silence. And still others, their brain is working in overdrive, and they're barraging you with questions. But Mary says, can we go back to that first little detail? How is this going to happen? Because I've never been with a man. How's this going to happen? I'm excited to get married, but I'm really not ready to take this step yet. And by the way, if this happens and I'm not married yet, there's this little dilemma called the law. And the law means that I'm going to end up in a pretty bad place, like dead. And so Mary doesn't doubt that it's going to happen like Zachariah does, but she questions the process. How? 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 She believes what the angel is telling her, but wants to know how. And the angel goes on to say in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will you will be called the Son of God. Well, that clears it all up. That clears it all up. They explained all that in that religion and biology class that I went to. How in the world is that going to happen? How in the world is this going to take place? Well, the angel goes on to tell her more than she asked for in verse 36 because she said, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. In the first part of Luke chapter 1, there's the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, who's somehow related to Mary, and it describes Elizabeth as being very old. Now, I don't know how you, I don't know what category a woman has to be to be very old. There's old, and then there's very old, you know. So, somehow, the Bible comes up with this category of very old. Now, I would only have to assume that the only thing I can assume, because I'm not going to speculate on what age is very old um, this morning, that would not be a good thing for me to do, but um, I would have to assume that it's past the childbearing age. That's what the Bible says. Not John is saying that's very old. That's what the Bible says. You know, that's what very old is. But somehow in that condition, she was able to conceive. She was able to conceive. And the angel goes on to say this. He says, for no word from God will ever fail. And I like this translation that says, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So how does that settle her heart? How does that take the heart of a young girl that's greatly troubled at the presence of an angel at this news that she's hearing and settle her heart. You know, the truth is when you find life not working out, God often has a surprisingly effective plan. When you find life not working out, God often has a surprisingly effective plan. If you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we looked at the story of a couple of guys in a fiery furnace and God protected them. They didn't even smell like smoke. And then last week, we looked at a guy who got thrown into a den of lions, and there was not even a scratch on his body when he came out. And now somehow, God's going to impregnate a virgin with a sperm that's going to become the Son of God. How is that going to happen? 
Recently, I found myself saying to people more often, I don't know how God's going to do something in this situation. I really have no idea. But I know somehow God's going to show up because He always shows up. And He often has a plan. He often has a solution in the time that's not my timing, in a way that I never imagined possible, that somehow reminds us that God is still God and able to do the supernatural when we think it's impossible. After the holidays and being with family, I was talking to my wife about a situation in our family that I was concerned about. And I said to her, I really feel like I need to step in. I said, I'm the oldest brother, I'm the oldest uncle, I'm the oldest son, and I feel like I need to step in and do something. We can't just let this keep going on the way it is. And my wife wisely said to me, you can't. I said, I know, but I want to. I didn't really want to trust God at that moment. I didn't want to wait for God. I didn't want to pray for God. I just wanted to find a solution. The clock is ticking and time is moving past and and years are moving by and lives are being shaped. And I just didn't want to trust God that he was going to come up with a plan to make this happen because it didn't seem like he had come up with a plan. So how did Mary respond to the angel's news? How did Mary respond? Oh, you don't know what my parents, you don't know my parents. Oh, you are not, can't even imagine what they're going to think about this. And the whole village? Joseph? What's he going to think about that story? Yes, God got me pregnant, you know. Um, my father? I mean, here my father thought that I was being married and he got this nice betrothal gift from, you know, from Joseph. And so he's got this nice gift. And you know what? He's going to have to give the gift back. He's going to have to give the gift back. And then he's going to get me back and another mouth to feed on top of all of that. He doesn't even have to take me back in. I could be out on the streets as a teenage girl with a baby. So how does Mary respond? What does she say? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. She said, God, whatever you say is what I'm going to believe is going to happen. Whatever you say is what I'm going to believe is going to happen. I don't know how, I don't know in what way, but whatever whatever you believe is what I'm going to hold to is going to happen. And I'm going to cling to that and I'm going to hold on to that because I don't have anything else to hold on to. What I know about Mary is she left the details, she left the confusion, she left the parts of her story that didn't make any sense, that she couldn't figure out and couldn't navigate. She said, I'm just going to put those in God's hands and I'm just going to hold tightly to what I know is true. When my wife and I wanted to have more children, we didn't know what God was going to do. We prayed, we waited, tried every medical solution possible. She went to baby showers, navigated through numerous Mother's Days, watched relatives have children. And I kind of came to the conclusion that maybe that wasn't part of God's plan, even though that was the desire of our heart, which seemed to be a good desire. And some of you know the story that with literally one month's notice, God brought a child into our lives, who many of you know, is our son Daniel. 
And when you're facing a hopeless situation, when things go bad, when things don't work out the way you expect them to, regardless of why, all of us have a choice in that moment to decide, what am I going to do? You can step forward in faith or you can step backwards and you can cower in fear. And if you could step forward in faith, my prayer is that you will pray what Mary's prayer was and you'll maybe say it this way, God, I'm your servant and I'm going to cling to your promises. I'm going to cling to your promises. I don't know how you're going to fix this. I don't know how you're going to resolve this. I don't know how you're going to make a way through this. But I'm praying that somehow you do. And I thought, what are the promises What are some of the promises of God that he gives to us? Well, some of the promises are these statements that you're a child of his and that you are God's workmanship. He's working in your life and in your heart and he's doing that as long as you are here on this earth. Uh, That you are completely and totally forgiven. That you're a new person with a new life. That you're a place where God's spirit lives. That you are totally and completely forgiven and that you are greatly loved. I might not have a plan. I might not have a solution I might not even be able to explain how I got where I am. But in those moments in time, each one of us has an opportunity. When we're faced with fear, when we're faced with uncertainty, either step forward in faith or step back and cower in fear. And if you step forward in faith, my hope is that you can pray what Mary prayed and say, I am your servant. I'm I'm just going to cling to your promises. What would it look like for us this holiday season if when light comes at us in very uncertain ways, which it will, if we could say this prayer, God, I am your servant, and I want to grab hold of your promises. I wonder if it would allow us to love more. I wonder if it would allow us to trust God more. And I wonder if it would allow us to see Christmas through a fresh set of eyes this year. I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads and, and just take a moment. And if there is something that God has in your life um, that feels heavy, feels weighty, confusing, um, would you just say that prayer? God, I'm your servant, and I'm going to cling to your promises. God, some of us are facing circumstances that we didn't create. We didn't do anything to deserve them. And we're in the middle of them. God, help us to be willing to serve you and cling tightly to those promises. And God, as things come our way this Christmas season, 
invariably with family, relationships, loss, um, God, we can feel as troubled and confused as Mary was. And I just pray that you would give us the grace and the strength that is needed to hold on to your promises. God, help us to cling tightly to you. We need your help. We can't do this on our own. In your name we pray.